Welcome to the Hey Soul Sister podcast, where Mel Histon will guide you through life's big questions and bring you one step closer to doing this crazy journey as best you can. I wanted to do this episode because I lost a close friend of mine, Meg Purser, mid-January to breast cancer. For those of you who know Meg or knew Meg, Meg was a bright light, a shining light in our community to her family, friends, and also because she was a owner of a communications agency, to all the people, businesses, and organizations she worked with over the years. I had never actually had a close friend die before. And since she was dying from breast cancer, it wasn't a quick and painful death. It was slow, insidious, and painful for her. As a friend, I found it heart-wrenching knowing that she was going through such a death. And it's opened a can of worms for me personally. I have so many questions, questions about death and dying. And I'm a big believer that when we ask the universe, source, God, whoever it is for you, questions that they send us the answers. And so I've been sent this wonderful woman who's sitting before me today, death doula, Ruth Boydell. Ruth, thank you so much for coming into Hazel Sister today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Look, I know that a doula is typically a professional who helps mothers during pregnancy and childbirth. And it's interesting, it actually hasn't been until Meg's death, just, oh gosh, what was that, six, seven, eight weeks ago now, that I had heard the term death doula. I'd never heard of that before. I need, I only ever heard of a a birthing doula. So how would you describe your role, Ruth, as a death doula? Well, a death doula is pretty much the equivalent of a birth doula, but at the other end of life, where the non-medical support person, perhaps where the elder in the community who has um, knowledge and, and awareness of what the journey is for some people, and I get to serve people in that time of their lives yeah Yeah. when you said something then and it almost sounded when I think you used the word was it elder yes and so that reminds me I suppose of you know in tribes in um you know traditional tribes that there would be elder people that would possibly help fill that role for the people dying in that tribe yeah in another conversation I might use the word crone and uh I'm I'm learning to actually claim that word and the role of the postmenopausal woman who has knowledge and wisdom. So yeah. is that what crone means, the crone? The crone, yes, basically, that, yes. Because that's an I've heard people talk about that as a feminine archetype, the yes. crone. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so it's an older woman like postmenopausal. Postmenopausal, uh, she's one of the faces of the goddess and um, you know, if I could be so bold as to suggest that I'm um, be bold. I'm at that <laughs> end of my life and that I believe I've had experiences and awarenesses and training to, to take on this role as, as that woman. Yeah. yeah. So, Ruth, you were a teacher. I was an adult educator. I was a TAFE teacher. I taught maritime studies. <laughs> uh, I was a sailor. Uh, you were a sailor? I was a sailor. So yeah. that was my background. I was a cruising sailor. Yeah. And um, had gone on ocean voyages and ended up at TAFE teaching people. But I'd never really experienced my mortality 
until four years ago. Okay, so was that the beginning of your journey to becoming a death doula? That probably was my awakening to that role. Um, But before that, I'd met my husband, Dave, who was a paramedic, and he struggled with PTSD and depression and always for 12 years talked about his deliberately ending his own life. So I got to live with that and... I didn't understand it because I was Pollyanna. I was the woman who said, jolly hockey sticks, pull up your socks and all will be well and just get on with living. So what happened four years ago? So four years ago, I was teaching a course in Tasmania, a maritime course. And on my way home at Melbourne Airport, I had uh, what Dave described. He thought I'd had a stroke, but um, he had the wherewithal to call the ambulance and send me to the uh, hospital and I had what was called a transient global amnesia. So I had a four-hour block of my life that I do not remember but he said I was in my full dementia. So so what, what did that look like? For him it was who am I and why am I here? Really? And I don't remember any of that. So you were kind of like speaking I was speaking, but I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who he was. I tr- stayed with him, trusted him enough to to stick with him as he yeah kind of took me around to the to the um, desk at, at the airport. Yeah, wow. But I came out of that experience. I came back to myself uh, in the emergency room at at Sunshine Hospital, and I just said to Dave. I'm feeling more like myself now. And it took months actually to feel fully myself. But in the interim, I really had the sense that I'd been taken somewhere and shown through the veils. Really? And I talked to people about that sense that I've been somewhere and that I felt my mortality and that death was not the end, that death is just another transition through the veils. And so for those of you who don't know what the veils means, is that um, people in, in the, the spiritual world talk about there being a veil between our physical world and the spiritual world. That's right. And, yeah. um, and f- I think prior to that, I'd kind of seen a black wall as that, you know, what that was. I'd never experienced the sense that, that there is a, a way through that there is something on the other side that of the veil something on the other side and I don't know if anything was said to me or you know I have no memory of the experience but the sense of well-being the sense of bliss that I felt so in that experience came back, when you came back that all was well that death is not to be feared don't be frightened so I think and certainly two years later um, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, but, but at that time I I was just curious and kept talking to people about my experience of mortality, which I'd never experienced even sailing alone on an ocean in a storm. I'd never had that feeling that I was a mortal being going to, that could die, but I now knew that I was a mortal being who could die. Yeah. And but that death wasn't the end. And that death wasn't the end. Yeah. yeah. So there was both those aspects to it that that this body is is finite, but who I am at source is not finite; is infinite. Yeah. 
I'm so intrigued and I love it because I suppose I read lots of books around that and listen to podcasts as well around the veil and what's on the other side. And I've been watching the Netflix series oh, Surviving, surviving De- Death. Surviving Death. Yep. Have you been watching that? I've just seen the first one. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I think the first episode is the best. I really, I, I loved it all, but, I, and I was watching that around the time that Meg was dying. <sighs> So I was kind of watching that and I suppose looking for some sort of hope or, or, or insight that I knew that she was dying and, and that she was going to die any day. And I suppose <laughs> almost like the people on there grasping and going, surely hope, this is not the end for her. Surely yeah, hoping not- for something more for her and for your relationship with her, presumably. Yeah. Absolutely. And if any of you listening haven't seen it yet, look at it on Netflix, Surviving Death. It's only six episodes. Want to fill your soul with more? Go to thesisterco.com. So I had that experience and then uh, a month later my son went in for neurosurgery, an exploratory neurosurgery and uh, I had kind of had to face that possibility that he might die. And so I'm still feeling okay, you know, like this is this is all right. And he survived that and there was no problem. But as I was talking to people uh, they told me about doulas, that there are death doulas. And in Australia, I suppose, they've been kind of operating perhaps for 10 years quietly and not necessarily called a doula. And in fact, you know, the person who is a doula is just an experienced person or a confident person who can companion someone at their end of life. And many people are, are naturally doing doula work and some of you will say well I know how to do that I looked after my parents or um, a sibling or a friend yeah 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 um, and is that something that I, I was reading um, about you is, is that also pastoral care or is that something different well what interested me about doula work is the the, con- the the work in spirit and consciousness so that was my particular interest um i've done quite a bit of personal development work in in consciousness work i've done avatar courses and uh kind of been developing myself to think of myself as a as a source being who's who's more than my body and more than my mind and more than my emotional sense yeah yeah and so to become a doula, did you need to do any specific training? So I did do some training. The training um, available are basically short courses, weekend-long courses, and I've done a number of those different courses with different trainers who have who come with a really different perspective. So I'm really grateful for the trainings that I've had. Um, and also I was um, mentored by Lola Rush-Hartland, who was a Newcastle doula she's she's now in Holland looking after her mother but uh, she was in in Newcastle for many years and um, so that was a, a an inspiration too to to meet someone who was actually doing the work yeah I bet and I got to travel with her a little bit and uh, work with some of her clients as well so and so how do people find you or and and at what stage are they at when they're I suppose looking for a doula. Well, people can find me at any point in their 
journeys, they can find me before they have any kind of diagnosis or maybe they're concerned about a parent and want to find out more of just the kind of background information of what's required. Um, They could look for me if they were given a diagnosis and they could look for me if they just were interested in this idea of who we are beyond our bodies. And so what does an initial meeting with you look like? Well, mostly it's a conversation and I talk to people about what they see for themselves. What do they need? As I said, I'm particularly interested in the spiritual aspect. So I'm very interested in connecting with people before their diagnosis, before their death, before the uh, somebody in the family has died but a doula can can do work with emotional clearing and I'm training uh currently been training the last three years as a pastoral care practitioner so that's being a deep listener with skills to help uh, open up the conversation to a, a deeper wider conversation do you find that something that a lot of people are looking for is that spiritual element I think people are really interested and the conversations that I've had with people, particularly in the Death Cafe, which I run, which is a, another <laughs> place where people can can just join in the conversation. Um, sometimes we it's very superficial and we talk about coffins and paperwork and wills and enduring guardians and advanced care planning. But we can also talk about where do we go, where have we come from and where do we go and what experience some people have had near-death experiences and some people have had actual death experiences. Uh, I would say they were were considered like in the the surviving death film where they've been called dead but have come back into their bodies, yeah. So those, those experiences on that Netflix do happen to regular people. And have they found it like you, I guess, reassuring that there is that other realm or that there, that, that death is not the end? Uh, I've seen some people, their whole face just changes to, to consider that, that somebody thinks that there's a, a, a place for them beyond their death. Yeah. 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 So... In addition to kind of that spiritual element, you do practical things like working through, okay, what sort of care do you want? That's right. So I might go through, firstly, the paperwork, make sure people do have their wills, their their, uh, advanced care planning, which is who will speak for you if you can't speak. So if you get a, a diagnosis of dementia, who will be your spokesperson when you can't speak for yourself? And you want a trusted person, not necessarily a family member, because they may be very emotionally invested in prolonging your life yeah. for no apparent benefit to the person who might be ready to let go. And yeah. So would you then liaise with medical staff on their behalf or with them? I do at times, yes. uh, I will be an advocate for them or have conversations with their family members. I've had families employ me to look after the family once they've gone. So a a dying person contacted me to say, you know, I want to employ you to make sure the family can handle this, can talk through this and experience life okay without me. Tell them it's going to be okay. Want to save your soul? 
Review us on Apple Podcast. I really struggled when my dear friend Meg was dying and that she didn't want to see me or our or our friends once she went into palliative care. Um, she went into palliative care and then went home for Christmas and then went back to the hospital and then the hospice. And once she kind of went into that palliative care stage, she didn't want to see her friends, me or her friends, just her um, lovely hubby and her immediate family. And I found that really hard. I found that really hard. And I, I just remember, I just wanted to sit with her and hold, you know, hold her hand and tell her how much that I loved her and how much she had meant to me. And I, I really struggled with that. And, and, you know, when, um, her hubby say such a beautiful man and, you know, I got a couple of times, although please can I come see her? And he was following her wishes and he's like, Mel, she doesn't want you or anyone to see her like the way that she is. And it was hard because I didn't really know how bad it had gotten for her physically, you know, what her body was going through in that dying process. And, you know, I reflect back to the last time that I saw her and she wasn't well and she was trying so hard not to show it. We, We went and had lunch and she was not well. And I didn't realize that that was the last time I was going to see her alive. And I remember saying to her lovely hubby, please, I, I, that can't be the last time I see her. And it was until I actually did a viewing of her after she had died. But that was really hard. And I mean, but I suppose not as hard as it was for her going through what her body was going through, which I only really found out after she died. Scott kind of shared with us just how horrible dying of cancer was and he he said it was just so cruel to see what was what cancer does to your body and and I suppose what I struggled with was like we all do is you know being little humans is go but if it, if it was me I'd want everybody around me I'd, I'd I'd have all my friends sitting around singing kumbaya or wham songs or something and so that was really I found that difficult because in my you know human selfish brain I'm like but this is how I would do it and I guess as a death doula you would come up against that I guess or come up and experience that friends and loved ones going hang on but I would do it this way and really it's not about us it's about that person it's about their choices that's right and their journey yes so it really sounds as if yeah you've you've had a difficult time coming to terms with it I I I think people that we have an expression that says people die the way they live. They will do what they're going to do through their own personality. There are so many ways to to die, really, because we have so many ways of living. And not all the choices that uh, a dying person makes make sense to us. And I've had my own experience of that. That's not fair. I don't think they did it the right way. And But we do... Uh, my role as a doula is to say, well, but that's their choice and that's exactly how they want to do this and if I'm uh, employed by the family, that's my job to ensure that they only see who they want to see and that there is some gatekeeping that happens at times. Yeah. Mm. And it's difficult. People don't realise what a gift it is for a family to be able to support their dying 
loved ones or friends to support them. At the end of the day, it it is about Meg and her journey, you know, and as it is for anyone. But I did have some days of crying, crying. She didn't love me enough, you know. I was like, I loved her. She's my friend. And I'm like, she didn't love me enough. She wouldn't see me. And I know that sounds really selfish. And I've now, you know, come to terms with that, especially after speaking to her hubby, who was, um, you know, really good and kind you know, to us, her friends. Yeah. But anyway, I suppose it's kind of set up that whole other journey of trying of, of this, of this podcast episode and doing a lot of reading and actually being really curious around that, the death and the dying process. Yes. And I think with um, a lot of the, um, the treatments in hospital, I think that there's, there's been a lot of um, procedures and things that perhaps take, a lot of the sense of their own death away from them as well. So uh, there may be um, an opportunity to feel like that at least they've got control over who they see and who they don't see at the time. So it is, it's, it's difficult for those of us that are left to, to understand some of the choices that, that people make. Yeah. Mm. But I guess that's part of our journey too is actually that's <laughs> learning, right. learning and growing yeah, from that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see any commonalities um, between people going through the dying process? So I, I guess... Oh, I think so. Yes, there are, there are certainly some certainly physical changes. What about things like regrets or re- reflecting on good times, that sort of thing? Depending on their world view, really, if they've got a big perspective, then they will go out with their big perspective in a way. And if they've got a, a more selfish, perhaps, perspective or self-centred perspective, they may go out following their own kind of inner trajectory. I've had people where I've brought friends in to visit them and been the person that's alerted friends that that this this is this is their friend's last weeks um, even if he didn't actually acknowledge it himself to anyone and uh, and to be able to hear that person say I didn't know I had so many friends and could feel the the sense of peace that brought oh wow that's beautiful yeah it is it was really a, a great treasure to to feel that I'd been able to to instigate that connection, reconnection with people. That's lovely. Yeah. I know there's the book, The 25 Regrets of the Dying. Have you read that? I haven't read that one. I've read anywhere. Okay, I'm going to admit I haven't read all of it, but I read a bit of it. But, yep. um, you know, I think one of the, the key regrets that she talks about, because she, was, uh, she nursed people who were yep. dying, is that they didn't spend enough time with loved ones. I think that would be the biggest one although who the loved ones are might be a different thing for different people yes so I've I've been with people whose family weren't their priority but their friends were their priority and to see that and hear them talk about those experiences and the friends yeah has been great yeah yeah and have you been witness to any spooky or spiritual experiences so for example i i've read stories about people who are in the process of dying and they're with loved ones and they'll start going there's 
there's I can see you know someone so uh, someone who's already passed on who's already died they're in the room and they're talking yes I have uh, on a number of occasions heard people either tell me the story that they've been traveling on the train with their parents and they've just come back from being on the train or I have spoken with someone who said that he had seen departed family members in the room while he was awake and he saw them quite uh, quite readily and easily. And I just asked, well, what was that like? And he said it was a great comfort no. to have them there. And so he wasn't surprised to have seen them. And perhaps in the way that I wasn't surprised to wake up in, in the emergency room and to kind of come back to myself that was no surprise to me but for this person it was no surprise to see those those departed family members that's so beautiful that that person received comfort or that anybody who has that experience it gives them comfort yes it's great to know and that that somebody will trust uh, someone enough to be able to share that part of their experience because we also know that people are perhaps a bit reluctant to share that because they they know that yeah. they might be considered a bit kooky, yeah, if yeah. For, for expressing that. The night after my poppy died, I woke up and there was a man sitting on the end of my bed and I absolutely freaked out because I didn't recognise who it was and he was wearing a suit and he was very tall and he reminded me of my brother. And I didn't actually, to be honest, make the connection. And then I was, went around to my mum's the next day and she was looking at some photos because it was her dad that had died. And she had a photo of Poppy with Nanny when they were young. And I looked and I was like, that's who it was. And that's why I thought it looked like oh, my brother. Yes. It was. Cause you, yeah. He looked like your brother. Yeah. Yes. And he was just kind of sitting on the edge of my bed. And then I felt really bad because <laughs> I freaked out, closed my eyes and I was going, go away, go away, go away. Because I didn't know, you know, like I, I th- I'm like, what the hell? He, what's this? It, yeah, I, I because knew it was, you didn't recognize him. I didn't recognize yeah, him. I knew yeah. it was some sort of spiritual thing. And I absolutely panicked and freaked out. And I'm like, oh, it's my poppy coming to say goodbye. Oh, that's a anyway. beautiful thing. But he, I'm sure he would have understood <laughs> what your your uh, fears were. Yeah. yeah. Let's get soulful on social media. Search the Sister Code Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. And so, Ruth, what do you think happens when we die? As a non-religious pastoral carer, I believe in the mystery yeah (laughs) we don't know (laughs) Uh, but I just I think that our that our consciousness connects with a greater consciousness and that we are part of something larger than us and that we are all connected and that we're part of the the great mystery the connected mystery I was um, chatting to a friend of mine the other day and she her heritage is Russian Orthodox and she was telling me that um, that they believe, Russian Orthodox, um, believe that when you die, you have 72 days 
where your spirit is is around family can spend that time just being around family and then you have to go mm-hmm. go to the next realm whether that's heaven or whatever it is and I was like, wow, that's really interesting. She was really specific around that. Yes. And I thought, I think that's another podcast episode. That's, the, the, that's definitely another podcast episode because, you know, I have heard a few versions of that, not the 72 days, but when my husband died 18 months ago, my Buddhist colleagues uh, prayed for him in the bardo for 40 days Wow. So and that was a comfort to me. I'm not I'm not a practicing Buddhist, but I'm I'm very happy to accept that they would look after him. Yeah. yeah. And I love um there's a book which I read many years ago, um, written by Dr. Brian Weiss, Many Lives, Many Many Lives, Many Masters. Have you have you read that book? I haven't read that one. No. Oh, I love it. I saw him speak in Sydney at a Louise Hay conference and I've also seen him on Oprah. He was on there. So yes. he yeah. he was a I, the head, the chief of psychiatry, I think it was at Miami Hospital, which was a teaching hospital in the 80s. And he's the person who discovered, I guess, reincarnation and what he writes about what happens to us when we die. So he was using hypnotherapy on a client which was another staff member at the hospital, a, a young woman in her 20s, and she had been experiencing terrible fears and phobias that were really crippling her way of life. And he started using hypnotherapy on her because she wasn't responding to other forms of, of psychi- psychiatric treatment. And he said, and he recorded all the sessions. So he's got the tapes of them. And the book is the transcription of those tapes. And so while he was having these sessions she started regressing to her past to past lives and she would describe in intimate detail about what what that life was like and and the death in that life and then where she went to after she died and then she started channeling messages from higher spirits or higher realm and he said he didn't believe in that he's like i'm i'm jewish I never believed in that. I'm a scientist. I'm a doctor. And he really struggled with that. And then he went researching um, to see if anybody else, any other practitioners had had such experience and then has written this book, Many Lives, Many Masters. But he said some of the work that he does is actually giving peace to people to go that his experience is that our soul goes on, our consciousness goes on and that we actually do come back and that we reconnect with loved ones in another life, Mm. which I hope is true. Yes. I hope it's true. (laughs) Yes, well, I've I've read a, a number of books with a similar theme, perhaps not his, but um, I think it is a great comfort. And just to kind of add to that that story, the night before my husband died, I was approached by someone in a community room who didn't know me, and she just walked, came up to me and said, "They're telling me thanks," and. And I thought that was for my other doula work, but the next day Dave died. He, he took his life. He took his own life. And then a, a few months ago, I was in another group in a training and somebody came up to me and said, he's been here all weekend and he's telling you you're doing good work and that you're on the right track and he's really pleased for you. Oh, my. oh so, wow. Oh, Ruth, yeah. how was that moment for yeah. you? Uh, well, oh. it's just, it is a confirmation of life after life. I I'm, I'm firmly believe that. Oh, well, what a wonderful experience mm. to think that <laughs> he's still yeah. there. And I think, actually, in retrospect, I think my 
transient am- global amnesia was so that I could help travel that journey with Dave who struggled with his mental health and he knew he was going to, to end his life and it helped me travel that those last years with him and it helped him go travel lighter and it helped me understand his perspective. Even if it was just doing this doula work was just for me and him, I, I feel it's, it's changed wow. my life. Yeah. yeah, and now we can see just how profoundly, especially going through that losing your husband and, you know, in taking his life. I'm yep. really sorry to hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, Ruth, what do you want people to know about the dying process and how death doulas can help? Well, I want people to know that we don't have to be afraid of it, that it is a transition and we still go through grief and loss in our day-to-day life. We're not, we're not uh, immune from that, those feelings. But to know that people, that death is not the worst thing, uh, that to fail to live is the, is the thing that we will actually regret. Oh, I love that. Yep. We need to live. We need to live. Live our best life. Our best life. Yeah. So if you're listening, Soul Sisters, have that as your takeaway, that it's really all about living our best life. We can now. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ruth, for coming on and sharing your story and more about your role as a death doula. And, um, yeah, I, I'm, I, I loved hearing that. Thank you. And I'm sure it'll connect with many people as well. Thank so you. how yeah. can people find out more about you? Well, people can find uh, I, I'm on Facebook. I've got an Instagram, Lifetimes Doula, and lifetimes.net.au is my website. I'm in the Newcastle Hunter area, and I can talk to people on Zoom or of telephone, or they can just call me. Yep. Beautiful. So lifetimes.net.au. .au. Jump over to Ruth's website. And you've also got information there about your death cafe that you run. That's right. So the, that sounds like a support group. Uh, it's more, well, we get uh, some regular people who just come and want to talk a juicy, deep conversation, uh, just as we've had now. And uh, some people come just once and that's enough. They've So it's not a gr- grief support as such but we do cover the grief and loss in the in the conversation yeah well thank you so much Mm. for coming on today thank you so much mel for having me beautiful thanks for listening to hey soul sister with mel histon what would help you on your crazy life journey email melissa at thesistercode.com